All right, Gabe DeArmond here on what we think is going to be a podcast. We don't know. We have so much uh, versatility now from doing things from home. We can do videos. We can type a bunch of stuff. We can do podcasts, whatever. But uh, talking this morning with Howard Richards, who in one way or another, Howard, you've been affiliated with Mizzou football for, what, 43 years now, something like that? Pretty, that's about right. If you do the math, um, it's been a long time. Yeah. As a as – a, student athlete, um, as an alumnus, uh, a donor, uh, a member of a number of volunteer boards, search committee for deans, as an employee, as a broadcaster, and now as a Mizzou parent. Uh, goes back a long way. Wow. I didn't, didn't realize you had, uh, had kids at the school, too. That's all. Kid. Kid. Just one one kid. Okay. I have a – my daughter, Sydney, will be a senior in the fall. Okay. Okay. She's not. She's not. She's sneaking out just as quickly. Right. Right. So, look, we've had you on. We've talked to you a lot in the past. It's it's usually about football. It's it's really not about football at this point. Like I I can only speak for myself. It seems kind of dumb to be talking about football. I mean. We don't know if there's going to be a season. We don't know what it's going to look like. And, and frankly, there's just a lot more important stuff going on uh, right now. So, uh, again, if we post this as only audio, I think most people listening to this probably know Howard. Uh, for those who, who don't, Howard is African-American and probably has more perspective on, on what has happened in the last 10 days than most of us. So I, I just want to start, Howard, kind of, when you see something, whether it's, you know, the Ahmaud Arbery story uh, a couple weeks ago, whether it's the, the video of George Floyd, um, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, obviously this isn't the first time this has happened, far from it. Um, what goes through your head? What, what's kind of that immediate reaction when you see a story like this start to kind of spread across the country? The first response is shock. You know, and that's an emotion that um, runs deeply because, you know, I saw a post on social media this morning that was a picture from probably 80 or 90 years ago. Uh, and it was a group of, uh, I think, mostly black females. One was holding up a sign that said, stop police killings. So this is not anything new. Um, in 2020. Uh, this has been going on for a long time. And I'm just going to go on record and say, you know, hopefully for the last time, but I'm sure it won't be. Colin Kaepernick, his actions on the football field had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with disrespecting the United States flag, the United States military, or the Star Spangled Banner. I want people to hear that and understand it and stop bringing up that excuse. He knelt because he wanted to, as an activist, and he's also a fraternity brother of mine, he wanted to bring attention to a systematic problem in this country. And he used his platform to do so. And that's what people need to understand. Uh, I just want to make that clear because I'm, I'm tired of, this coming up, uh, that, you know, people are disrespecting the flag. Nothing to do with that. Those are people that just are not either paying attention or just don't want to know what the issues. Don't want to accept that this is reality in this country. 
so beyond that, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's sad. It's difficult because um, we have seen, you know, it, most recently, of course, in the state of Missouri, um, <clears throat> 2014, the, the, the death of Michael Brown by a Ferguson police officer. And that spawned a whole other set of issues that um, are prevalent in this country, not just in Ferguson, Missouri. And the reason I say that is because the Department of Justice was called in to investigate a lot of uh, practices that should not be occurring in this country. And as a result, there was some change that has occurred in Ferguson. It's still not anywhere close to where it needs to be. We saw what um, a lot of that city, a lot of its um, uh, economic uh, the portions of Ferguson where people, um, you know, do most of the business along the, the avenue of West Florida you know, where I spent a lot of time as a kid, burned to the ground. <clears throat> and six years later, a lot of that still has not recovered. And that's difficult because it now hurts people that live in those communities. It wasn't people from Ferguson burning down Ferguson either. Um, and, and it's difficult to see, uh, you know, the violence that has occurred over the last seven days. I'm, ha I'm, I'm happy to see that it's, it's being tempered somewhat. Uh, now, listen, I, I will say, I, I am not, I don't condone violence. Um, I, I'm not, I've never been one to, uh, you know, destroy the property of others uh, at all. This is not how I've lived my life, and that's not how I've learned. But listen, I understand uh, the people that have nothing, that have no hope. As you know, I spend a lot of time traveling throughout uh, the world, a lot of time in the Middle East, especially a lot of time in uh, Palestinian territories, Gaza and the West Bank. That is a, a land where people aren't even considered citizens of any country. They have no hope, you know, so they fight for their own rights. They fight for themselves. And listen, again, I don't condone the violence, but I understand why they do it. You know, they're, they're trying to stand up for themselves. And similarly, and analogous to that, that's what's happening in this country today. People are tired of, of seeing police officers, people put in positions of authority, abuse that authority. And if someone doesn't see what happened to, what happened to George Floyd as being wrong, God help them. Uh, it, it's, 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 it is beyond sad, it is beyond angry, um, it is inhumane, and uh, this has to stop. It has to stop, and I hope it does stop. I hope something like this doesn't further divide our country. I hope that this is something that will ultimately unite us, and, and I'm happy to see uh, those that are not people of color that also understand it and support, you know, these actions. And uh, um, you know, I just wanted to stop. It's not going to stop, but, you know, I want people to continue to protest. I want those voices to be heard. We all have to have those voices heard. You have to stand up to authority. Constitution gives us that right. There are, I mean, there are 
a million different kind of ways to go off that, but it, you addressed a little bit, you know, the, the protests that have obviously some of them have turned violent. And I, I think people can debate all day who is committing that violence, all that. But when I talked to Conzo Martin earlier this week and, and what I'm most interested in is, do you think that violence takes away from what the initial message is? Because the impression I get, and you kind of said it, is, look, black people have done the silent protest. They've done the passive protest. They've, they've tried to be peaceful, and that wasn't listened to. So if the peaceful protest wasn't listened to, and now this causes anger, what what's the – like – how do you protest? How is it okay for black people to protest? Yeah, and, and again, um, violence is, you know, I talked about how I feel about the violence. Now, and, and again, I don't condone it, but I understand how to do it. It, it is what makes people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it takes those types of activities to, you know, for that level of discomfort to rise in order to get people to act. That's unfortunate that, you know, the voices of the silent peaceful protesters uh, doesn't get any attention. And it's sad that it has to resort to the violent acts, but, um, you know, if that's, if that gets the attention, if it forces the change, then it was worth it. Uh, I, I wanna ask you, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this. I'm gonna guess when you were playing, you were, what six six two eighty? Is that in about the the right neighborhood? That uh, my NFL years, yeah, I was I was heavier. Okay, That's about where I ended up. Okay, so I, you grew up in in the St. Louis area. You were in Columbia. You were in Dallas for a long time. You were a six foot six, two hundred and seventy five pound black man. Um, did you ever have instances where profiling or dealings with law enforcement were an issue for you because of your appearance? Never had any issues. Um, <clears throat> I, there were a couple of occasions where I was, uh, where I believe I was pulled over uh, just because I was driving a, a nice vehicle um, in the state of Texas. Now, I, I was never harassed uh, because I've, you know, I, I've always, you know, conducted myself in a uh, in a positive, respectful manner, uh, and that's what I learned at an early age. You know, the police are the authority. And if you comply with what they ask you to, then, you know, things will be fine. And so I've always conducted myself that way. But I've also, I think, tried to make it easier, you know, if I'm stopped, especially at night. You know, I tend to roll down my windows, turn on the interior light, and let them see my hands. And just talk respectfully. So, and I think that, listen, it, it helps the officer in that situation. I think he or she then knows that I understand what this is about and I'm trying to be respectful and there shouldn't be a problem. Uh, so that's, that, that's, that's my experience. I do not discount the experiences of others. Um, and, and I have heard details of others and it's, it's tragic. Um, and, and I just think it really does go back to training um, in one aspect. There are other aspects uh, that I know exists because of my security background. There, uh, in a lot of situations, a lot of police officers have come from a militaristic background. Um, they have been in situations um, where, where they've participated in war. Um, 
when you're in a war situation, when you're fighting on the front lines, you know, a lot of the rules that we know with regard to uh, civil obedience and policing, they go out the window. You know, when, when you're, you're fighting in, um, in war-torn areas, it's different. There are a lot of officers that have uh, left the military, joined police forces, that have issues, mental health issues. Uh, they have issues with PTSD. And when people react in a certain way, you know, those officers have not, to me, addressed the issues that, uh, that they need to address when, with regard to how to deal with people in the public. You know people are going to be upset. You know people are going to be angry. You're going to have anxiety. You, as the authority, have to know how to deal with people. It's really not much different than, uh, you know, a, a supervisor subordinate situation. Your subordinates are going to be uh, upset at points. And as a supervisor, you have to not react the same, the same way. You need to be able to temper, you know, their feelings, their anger, and be able to communicate back and forth. So there are a lot of similarities. Um, and I think the problem is, you know, a lot of people understand that the police work is tough, doesn't pay well, uh, and there are only so many people that are going to be able to do it. But uh, the unfortunate thing is that there are people that wear those uniforms uh, for the wrong reasons. And that's what the, um, uh, the police forces, the chiefs of police uh, across this country have to really uh, address with regard to the, their current uh, force of officers and their future force of officers. Uh, starts with training, but also I think they need, there needs to be a deep dive when people come from certain backgrounds to ensure that they are fit for duty. And I've seen the, the I don't want to say argument, but there are a lot of people who will say, well, you know, we're talking about a very small number of police officers. Most police officers are good people. I don't think anybody's disputing that. The two things I've seen is, number one, police officers are like airline pilots. Like, you don't get to have a bad day. You know, you have a bad day in that job, people die. So even if it's a small percentage, it still hurts. Number two, guess what? Most black people aren't criminals either, you know? And so, yes, we're talking about a small percentage of, of people, but it, it, it is an important percentage and the goal is to have none. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I totally agree with the statement you made. You know, most police officers are really good police officers. You know, I have many friends uh, on police forces, you know, not just in the St. Louis area, but beyond that are good cops. I've had a number of relatives uh, that have been cops. My father was a cop for a couple of years. Um, so I, I, I am, you know, I have empathy for, for police officers uh, to an extent, but by the same token, we're talking about the bad elements right. and we're not talking about the good elements. So sometimes the collateral damage bothers me when there are officers on the streets trying to do good things and, and people are just using the blanket approach that, that I don't like. It's, 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 it's a hard thing to separate. Uh, I understand it, but you know, it, it's, I wish there was a different way. And I don't have the answers. Right. I, I, I do want to get to a little bit of talking about how this relates to sports and some of the things that have happened at Missouri, but kind of last more generic or broad question for you. So I, 
there's a lot of talk the last few days. Everybody is, is kind of on board. Hey, I, I want to make this better. I want to change. So in your opinion, what are the steps? I mean, for people like me, 43-year-old white guy in the Midwest, what do people like me do to help further this conversation and make a difference? Well, if, you, if you're sincere, Gabe, you know, which I believe you are. My conversations with you have, have always been straight up, hard-hitting, positive, you know. Um, and I think if, if you think that you have um, solutions or if you just want to learn, okay, right. and, and a few of us have solutions. I think we have a lot of ideas. But if you just want to learn, it, it, I nor any other African-American person, uh, if you came to them, neither of us would have problems explaining the issue to you, explaining what we have faced. I don't know all the things that have happened in your background. Um, if the shoes were reversed, I think I would, I would ask those questions. You know, actually I have asked those questions. You know, tell me about you, tell me about your family, about your background. Um, getting to know people, um, I think makes a difference. You know, community policing um, has been effective. And I think where you see officers, I'll just take Ferguson for an example, uh, small community, relatively small police force. Uh, it's not, you know, the population doesn't outnumber the force to the point where officers can't get out and meet citizens of that community. Because it's been a great community for many, many years. I, I grew up two minutes from Ferguson. Um, as a kid and used to ride my bike and walk in those areas and, uh, and spend money in Ferguson, never had an issue. Uh, you know, as a, as a kid, I was never harassed by the police. Um, but I, I think it's because, you know, I wasn't doing anything to, to be harassed. That said, there are a lot of kids that aren't doing anything to be harassed, but yet they are because of the way they look. Um, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes that people, um, allowed to sort of drive their beliefs. That's unfortunate also. Um, you, you just can't judge people simply by the way they look. That's something that I wish that we, you know, we, we have to change in this country also. Um, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but I, I think getting to know people um, and, and from the standpoint of community policing, as an officer, you've got to get out and know who your constituents are. You've got to build relationships with the people in your communities, and you've got to build that trust. That way, when, when there's problems, people are going to come to you. If they don't trust you, if they don't have a relationship with you, they're not going to call you. It's just like everyday life. You know, if I don't have a relationship with, with a particular person of the media, I'm going to give him access to what I know. You and guys like Dave Matter, you know, we've built relationships. I, I, I trust your work. You know, I, I have faith that what I give you is not going to be misconstrued. That's trust. And I think that needs to happen across a lot of different industries. And, uh, you know, the sooner, the more it happens, the better off we'll be. Again, we're talking with Howard Richards, and I know obviously the last few years, I mean, you've been, been more involved with football, but certainly with the athletic department as a whole, I'm sure you've gotten a chance to know Conzo a little bit at, at various things over the last few years. Just uh, 
you know, he, he in the last, I mean, he's always been a guy that's very thoughtful and very forthright about kind of societal and life issues. But I feel like the last few days even, and he said, Hey, this is, it's time for me to, to be vocal about this. Uh, just curious what you've thought in, in what you've read and, and heard from Missouri's basketball coach over the last few days. Well, it doesn't surprise me that Conzo has been vocal on these issues of late, uh, especially of late. You know, he's not a rah-rah type of guy that is going to get out and, and speak his, you know, his mind about uh, a lot of social issues until it's important to do so. Uh, the one thing we know about him, he is a leader of men. Um, and for the most part, guys that have been through his program, if you talk to them afterwards, um, they'll all describe him in the same way, you know, um, respectful, uh, a guy that wants to get the best out of his players, but goes beyond basketball. He's developed them into learning how to be uh, young men, how to comport themselves, you know, outside of uh, the campus, outside of the basketball court. Um, so he, he's developing uh, people to be good citizens. And, um, I, you know, I know where Conzo's from. He's from St. Louis, grew up in East St. Louis. I know what he's faced. Um, you know, I, I'm about 14 years older than he is. Uh, I grew up in the, the civil rights era. You know, I have been spat on, been called profane things, had stuff thrown to me, been a part of busing, uh, been, in, been a part of fights in school. Um, had people refuse to shake my hand because I'm black. And they told me that. Um, not so much, you know, throughout the South, Southwest, uh, early days in Dallas, it happens. You know, I, I, you've, you just have to be better than that. Um, and, and, but it comes from, you know, correcting uh, behaviors when you see them. And because if people don't know, then it's our responsibility to educate them on those things. And I think that's what Conzo's doing. I mean, he's, he is, people pay attention to what he says. And, and what he says has been, you know, what we call 100. Uh, um, to the point, but, but exactly the truth. Um, and and I, I think you need voices like that, uh, especially from our university. Missouri football team making national headlines yesterday and this morning and, and certainly in a positive way. I, uh, we're going to talk to Eli Drinkwitz about it later today. As I understand it, Ryan Walters and some of the players kind of organized yesterday's march through campus over to the courthouse registered about 60 guys to vote after kneeling on the courthouse lawn. I mean, as, as a guy who, who played here and, and knows some of these kids, when you saw that, uh, I imagine quite a bit of pride. Absolutely. Uh, I, I was, you know, very, very happy to see the leadership by uh, Eli and Ryan uh, and the staff and the participation and, uh, you know, the, the support, the way people reacted to it also. Um, a lot of those guys, I'm, I'm surprised there was so many to vote, but uh, I'm glad that they understand. And the one thing that I would like to change in our educational system, I mean, there are lots of problems. I think everyone needs to understand, um, you know, what American government is about. Um, if you can make one course mandatory, at least people learn about, you know, the process of how government actually works. You know, I venture to say most people don't know how many branches of the government there are and what, what they are. But for those that don't, you know, there's the <laughs> legislative branch, 
the executive branch and there's the judicial branch. And I think people need to understand that. I've tried to educate my daughter. Um, and I, I think she's, she has started to, to learn uh, about it. Um, she will definitely be voting um, in all the local elections and especially the general elections. She missed 2016 by a couple of months, but um, you know, because I told her if you can't vote, you can't come to my house. So, <laughs> uh, but but she's she's she said she has been part of some peaceful protests of late, um, and, and I, you know, I, I think that uh, she's she's understanding that, uh, especially as a young woman, uh, and a black woman, that you've got to stand up for yourself. You can't be a pushover. Be a leader. Don't be a follower. Um, you know, all those you know parental lessons. You know, whether you're white or black, the lessons are the same. Um, but, but, you know, if you, if you learn those things, if you learn how change is made, yes, through protesting, but also at the ballot box. And, you know, I wonder how many of those that are, you know, violently protesting or are registered to vote and understand what the process of voting means. I mean, too many times I've heard people say, you know, my vote's not going to count. It's not going to matter. And so now you have to take the time and explain to them why it does. And again, it's not just the, the national elections, the general election that you got to vote. You got to vote at the local level. That's where it begins. Um, and all elections are important. All elections are important. So I, I, that's, I encourage as many people as possible to you know, educate yourselves on the issues uh, before speaking. And then I think, you know, you, that, then the empathy comes out. You'll understand why people are upset in this country today. I saw uh, this morning, I guess Georgia Tech uh, is the first. I think there's going to be a lot of programs that do this, but their athletic department said, we will have no activities on November 3rd. Everybody, we're going to give everybody, all our coaches, all our players, everybody a chance to vote. I, I've spent a lot of the last two months uh, kind of uh, complaining about the hypocritical nature of college athletics, which is, all about the student athlete and we're here to build men and women and all that, but damn, we better get these people back on campus to play football. And now, now like this week, I feel like maybe we're starting to see, isn't this why they say college sports are here to educate these people? And, and maybe this is giving people a chance to do it a little bit. I think you're right. Uh, and, and maybe, maybe the pause, the pause meeting, uh, because of COVID-19, people have had to take a step back uh, and, and pay attention to what's, we're forced now to pay attention to a lot of the issues. And, and I said this, you know, several weeks back, that if, you know, if the pandemic continues and the economic downtrend continues, as summer approaches, it's going to get ugly. I didn't think it would take uh, two controversial killings you know, to make it ugly, but, you know, it is where it is. Young people now are forced to kind of take a look uh, and pay attention to those types of issues. White, black, Asian, Indian, uh, and people from other ethnicities. They're understanding that we have serious issues in this country and they're not insurmountable issues. I think there are more people in this country, even though they're, they may not as be as visible or vocal but I believe there are more people in this country that believe, you know, in, in right and wrong and understand it and want to do something. Some people just are just afraid to do things about it. But I applaud those from every side, from every walk, from 
all ethnicities that are supporting these issues. I think, uh, you know, this week it's, I don't want to say easy, but it's pretty easy for a lot of people to, to say, hey, I'm against racism. Hey, I'm against what happened to George Floyd, all that. But it, it's a process that like nothing gets fixed this week. So I, where do we go over the next few years? Like, do you feel, it, maybe a better way to ask this is, does this feel different to you than maybe things felt after Trayvon Martin 10 years ago or, or the way things felt after Michael Brown six years ago? Or do we not know whether it's different for a while? I don't think we know, but I can say it does feel different. It, and I think it feels differently because you can see the, the actions of the people um, have, st- have stood out. There are people nationwide that are uh, fighting for this struggle. Um, people of color, you know, Caucasians, Asians. Um, there are people believe in what's right. They believe in justice. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a proud moment to see people come together that way. Um, but, yeah, we've, we've got a long way to go. But I, I think this, you know, maybe this case, and, and I don't know what will happen in the Arbor case, but this case, um, I believe, is a tipping point. Um, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. The first step is that, you know, the officers were charged. Uh, and, and I believe from you know, the legal experts that I have listened to uh, over the last 24 hours, uh, these are the charges that you know, they believe can stick um, uh, all the way through a conviction. Uh, the New York City Police Commissioner's name escapes me, uh, was very articulate um, on the issues last night. And I, I think he, he has the, the model with regard to um, policing in that city. And it's a huge city. Um, but, you know, educating your officers and, and you know, he, he stood up and said, it wasn't, it wasn't the New York City uh, Police Commissioner, I can't remember which, uh, which, which police department it was, but uh, one guy I was listening to, you know, said he addressed all of his officers and said, if you think what happened to George Floyd was right, turn in your badge and gun right now. We don't need you. You're not a member of this police force. You cannot help this community. Um, so it takes people in positions of authority to be bold. Uh, and that's also where uh, the contributions have to come. Not just the protesters, but those that can make those, you know, our legislators have to listen to their constituents. You serve the people in your community if you don't understand what the issues are. You know, that's, those, it's the same thing that I've, I've been saying about our university, you know, beyond what happened in 2015. You want to understand your model for bringing students on campus is different. It's just completely different. You can't expect people just to say, I'm going to the University of Missouri because. No way. No way. You've got to talk to the people that you want to attend this school. You've got to tell them, you know, or educate them as to what the process will be. What's different since 2015? But you also have to ask them questions. You know, how can I, what can I do as an institution to help you as a family, to help your your young student on this campus. What can I do better? And that's how you build relationships with the communities, and and that's how you build that trust. That's how you become a stronger institution also. 
last thing on, on this subject and just uh, you know, with with all the perspective you have and, and the audience we've got being Mizzou fans, is there is there anything like that you think people need to hear that we haven't talked about? Uh, I, I don't. Nothing comes to mind um, yeah. other than again, you know, people listen, you know, have empathy, um, understand what's right and what's wrong, understand that. People have experiences beyond what you see. And if you, if you care about your fellow man, you know, help them along. Call, check on people. Um, ask questions. I, I, people will gain a new level of respect if people do that instead of just making judgments out here, which, which still happens. It's unfortunate, but it does. Uh, but I think listening and then figuring out a way to contribute, you know, whether it's monetarily, whether it's volunteering, you know, whether it's just, you know, a, a hug or a handshake or whatever the case may be, you know, just, just have empathy, but, but pay attention, listen, but also communicate. If we do those things better, we're going to be better all the way around. So I, I saved this for last because it's by far the least important, but I hope in a couple of months, like we, we actually get to have a conversation about Missouri's football team and all that. What's your, what's your level of belief that in, I guess, three months from tomorrow, you're actually going to be able to maybe call a football game? It all depends on, <laughs> it all depends on what this virus has to say. Um, you can have all the contingency plans in the world. Um, but if you have a major spike uh, and it affects your community, it affects your team, you know, how do you play? Uh, and, and that's, to me, you know, the, the ultimate concern. I do believe that, you know, come September 5th, there's going to be football. Um, unless there is a spike. We don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, college football, professional football, you know, has an advantage and they can watch and see what happens with baseball, NASCAR, the NHL, and the NBA and see how they did things. I, there's a good chance that there will be, you know, no fans or few fans in the stands at the beginning. And if um, the, this pandemic uh, cools down, if people, if, if, you know, we see the proverbial curb coming down, then people may start to uh, fill those seats again. But it's not going to look anything close to the way it's looked before. But I am—I um, won't say I'm confident. I'm hopeful that there will be football, but 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 only if you know the safety, the health and safety can be assured in the best way possible. Um, I, I I do believe testing has to be the way. I don't think you can you can test just a few people. And, I was happy to, to hear that uh, the decision was made that all Missouri student athletes will be tested. Um, but then everyone's got to be smart beyond that, you know, continue to, to practice the physical distancing and, and to the extent you can, you know, limit your contact outside of, uh, you know, where you're spending most of your time uh, because that's, there are going to be careless people and, and people are just going to be reckless. You have to expect that. Um, but you can control what you can control. And, and I just hope that, that people, our student athletes, um, but even you know, the university community at Missouri, but worldwide, excuse me, nationwide, um, 
just those things without trying to rush through, but pay attention to the science. It's all about the science here. Um, and uh, if we do that, then there's a chance that we have a chance to, you know, to survive this and get back to, you know, the closest thing to normal as possible. And, and, and maybe, maybe not soon, but, um, you know, gradually. Yeah, I appreciate your time today uh, and definitely your, your perspective, I think, is important on all this stuff. And, and I am hopeful that in three months, at least I can, like, wave to you from, like, 10 feet away in the press box at Furrow Field. Nothing, nothing would make me happy, Gabe. So, <laughs> all right. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, man. Have a good one.